The Money Show. Business Unusual. With Colin Cullis. So, Colin, I, I know a lot more about viruses. Well, I think I know a lot more about viruses. Actually, I probably know as little about viruses as I did at the beginning of this pandemic because I think many of us have been befuddled by the huge amount of information around viruses, virology, COVID-19. What is your take on the tale of virologists, amateurs and professionals? So I definitely followed the Dunning-Kruger curve where initially I thought I knew something about viruses and then we had a lot of information about viruses in the pandemic and I thought, oh, I know quite a lot about viruses. Uh, and then I started reading a bit more and realized I know nothing about viruses. Went right down the, the steep slope of ignorance again so that I'm now back at the point to say, man, this is really, really complex stuff. Anybody who says they know anything about it really got to have some letters after their name and then some uh, before they can really start saying a whole lot. So that's my number one disclaimer. I'm about to tell you something for which I have a limited grasp. And so I'm hoping to simplify it to the point of just getting you interested enough to go and learn a bit more about it. But as you did note that bit ahead of the show, I did ask others uh, what uh, two years of being in a pandemic has done for their knowledge of uh, virology, given that this evening we're talking about gyruses, something I had not heard of before uh, and are relatively new to us, uh, despite being around for millions of years. Uh, so I asked, uh, has your knowledge of virus changed, viruses changed? And I gave them the option to say, I now know more than ever. 50% said, yes, that is the case. Uh, about the same. 8% said about the same. 25% said it's so complex, so less. And then maybe concerningly, 17% have said it's all Bill's fault. So <laughs> <laughs> we've got a long way to go, I guess, in some yeah. respects. And, and the 50%, I'm afraid they're on the top of that Dunning-Kruger effect. Uh, so for, for the rest of us who are happy to learn a little bit more, and hopefully, Bruce, in the next couple of minutes, I can give you a few extra things uh, for you to add possibly in a conversation somewhere else or to be a little less confused about them somewhere else, uh, is to ask you, well, what is life? <clears throat> Not a simple question, I know. What is life? It's a magazine from the 1970s that published beautiful photographs of stupendous events. Um, that's my best answer. And a, a brilliant one, because you can absolutely say that is 100% correct. Uh, and truthfully, I suppose there's a whole lot of people still actually trying to uh, wonder and define exactly what it is. But for the purposes of this discussion this evening, we're going to define it as self-replicating molecules. So we're going to define those things as being life. And they've been organized into three domains. Now, uh, we did a, a chat some time back about the half-life of facts on the belief that once we have established a truth, it remains a truth. Uh, and we found that to be wrong. Things changed. Well, this is one of them. Us being sort of Gen Xs, when we were at school, we were taught about the six kingdoms of life and everything fit into the six kingdoms. Well, turns out we were wrong. We found a new uh, element that didn't fit into any one of the six kingdoms. So we now have three domains. Those domains are bacteria, which you knew about, eukaryotes, which you know about, and one which we fall into. And they added the archaea. So those are the three domains of life. These things are all alive, uh, and that's where they live. Uh, and the crazy thing is that archaea were, were, were around for, you know, billions of years, but whenever we saw them, we didn't quite know what they were. We just figured it's a single-celled animal, so it got lumped into uh, the same group with bacteria. In the 70s, some guy said, I don't think it is. At the time, though, we couldn't uh, sequence genes very easily, but we had just begun doing so. So he figured he's going to start uh, sequencing the genes of some of these various organisms, at the time still just described as bacteria, found there were differences, uh, and managed to convince people with a lot of prodding and after some time that actually well, they're a separate thing altogether. And so we had these archaea come along. And, and this is kind of part of the, the story of science. We, we tend to overlook things because we don't know that we were looking for them. 
dark matter, for example. I don't know if it's something you've come across, well, you haven't come across, a word you've come across before. And scientists refer to it as, yep, it's definitely there. We just don't have an instrument capable of detecting the stuff suitably well or creating the stuff to say, yep, see, there it is, I proved it. But we, we suspect it's there. And so this is kind of the point at which uh, we get the gyrus, a giant virus. Um, it's kind of a thing that's so new. When I wrote it first into a, a Google Doc that has got some spell checker on, it simply changed it to say, you couldn't have meant gyrus, you probably meant guru. No, I mean gyrus. Not that the name is a very popular one at the moment. Um, it's about the same size as bacteria, which, uh, as far as you and I are concerned, are crazily small. We hardly ever see them. But on the scale of viruses, uh, bacteria are massive. Uh, so that is kind of a, a crazy thing. And, and now we come round back to saying, well, then what about this uh, notion of uh, uh, alive or dead? What is life? Because viruses effectively just seek to, to reproduce, but they're not capable of doing it on their own, in which case science is still sort of uh, busying itself with the notion as to describing viruses either as dead with benefits, this is my definition, uh, alive with limitations, or super lazy parasites. Now, I'm going to make the, the case that they are dead with benefits. And, and usually whenever somebody talks about the, you know, the outcome of a horrific nuclear winter, they talk about, well, the only thing that's going to survive that are cockroaches. But there's something that's even more impressive. And over the last couple of years, these are also things that have become a lot more uh, popular thanks to uh, scanning micron photography and things like Life magazine uh, being willing to pu uh, publish them. Have you ever heard of a tardigrade? I, that rings a very distant bell. I couldn't begin to put it in place anywhere. No, so I don't know what a tardigrade is. I'm so when most people see this, <laughs> when, when, when people see them, these tiny little things, pictures of them, they either go like, oh, that's so cute, or they go, horrific, how big is it really? And when they hear it's like less than a millimeter, they're kind of like, oh, no problem. But here's what this thing can do. It, it, has, it lives in water, fresh water typically, uh, and has been dried out and had no food for 30 years, the longest version that we're aware of, and it came back to life with no semen prong. That's the one, right? They, they live at room temperatures, but can handle being frozen almost down to absolute zero, minus 273 degrees as well as being boiled alive and then still coming out the other side being okay. We have squished them to, to pressures greater than at the deepest parts of the oceans and exposed them to the vacuum of space. Under all circumstances, they sort of just chilled out and waited for things to get better again before going along their business, looking for little green things to go and chew, which is maybe an important thing I should point out here. They are not harmful to humans. They're pretty much herbivores. So unless you're a tiny one-celled animal living at that sort of scale, no problem. There are about a thousand cells that make up the entire thing. So if, if the don't look up category of disaster comes our way, the, the thing we can say will probably survive will be those, the tardigrades. And, and viruses sort of fall into that kind of category. They are super tolerant, super resilient to manage to, to kind of get by. They don't thrive, they don't do well, and they will die in extreme conditions. But generally because they do so little, uh, they can pretty much just hang around and wait until things get better until some unsuspecting cell happens to chance upon them in. That's when the, the trouble starts. And because they can't self-replicate, uh, that's why they don't get into that sort of living category. Their, their only function is to reproduce. But, you know, considering that chemicals don't just make new things, this is the bit that says, well, at least they aspire to be alive. And so they've come to affect almost every single life form we know about, including, and this was the other crazy thing we only recently found, with these giant viruses, there are viruses that infect the viruses. And I'll leave some stuff online for just how crazy that does go. But it is absolutely fascinating just how 
relentless life or even half life is when it comes to uh, trying to sort things out. But then there's one extra person I need to introduce you here uh, before the full picture is made. And I don't know if that's a song that means anything to you again, Gen X stuff, uh, all apologies for the <laughs> old 80s, 90s songs. Uh, so Luca is our last universal uh, common ancestor. The cell that we haven't found, but we reckon we must all have evolved from something. And that is the one that seems to give us um, elements that are part of the eukaryotes, the bit that we're on, the branch we're on, the uh, archaea, and the bacteria all, all go back to this thing. And what they suspect is that the viruses may go all the way back to even there. So effectively, there were these two things. One became the viruses, the other became the living stuff. Uh, and that's how long this um, sort of battle has been going on or the, this, the relationship has existed. And just for comparison, this is a time when the earth was basically just spewing lava. Uh, the seas were hot messes. Uh, and if you happen to get into the air, you'd pretty much have nothing but rotten egg smell, uh, methane and carbon dioxide. Not the best place for you to live. Um, <laughs> but then here's where the, <laughs> the stuff that the scientists are saying, oh, well, we never bothered looking at this thing as a, as a, as a virus because it just looked like a bacteria. We kind of, some of them were named as bacteria before they had a look at them. And it was the gene sequencing. And, and so typically viruses are known for one being physically very small. So if there wasn't anything tiny, we just wouldn't think of it as not being a virus. We think it's living. Uh, and then how many genes, et cetera, it has. Now, um, SARS-CoV-2, the one that we're very, very uh, aware of at the moment, has 15 genes. Uh, HIV and flu say, hold my beer. They've got just 10. Gyruses aren't just physically massive and large. They have thousands of genes. And here's where the really clever thing about finding its history and what this all means for the origins of life and where we all come from. Because viruses have the ability not just take their genes, stick it into another living cell and make that cell create their genes. They inherit on occasion, some of the living cells' genes. And with gyruses, they tend to do that more readily than you know, with, with other types of virus. Uh, and so in gyruses' um, uh, DNA sequences, they found some gene sequences that can code for photosynthesis. Now, viruses don't produce their own food. They don't live for that matter, but they have those bits that are in them. But when they infect something else, the other bit that they can do is they can leave a little bit of their genetic sequence in the host. And humans, for example, have got old bits on our 20,000-some uh, bits of genes that we know come from other organisms and most likely come from viruses. Uh, and that is the bit that's, that is really crazy. And for the conspiracy theorists, we're like, I'm not taking a vaccine because I'm going to get <laughs> DNA changed. Viruses do that to you. So it's the virus that causes the problem, not the vaccines. So, so that's an interesting mixing thing. And this is where um, you know, so the notion or the theory about how this has all changed held that we thought uh, evolution came from external pressures, uh, survival of the fittest, getting a, an environment that was kind of good for giving you the best opportunity to express your genes and, and not be predated or killed out by whatever is around. But if you imagine that tree of life again, the sort of tree with the, the various um, types of life coming off it as branches, then imagine viruses being the sort of like parasitic vine wrapping itself around those branches and growing up alongside yeah. it kind of being a bit of a, a downer for most of us, but because it's doing this sort of genetic mixing and switching, uh, giving us potentially some very big uh, opportunities to, to move ahead. There's some extra stuff I'll, I'll leave online unless you have got some time for the von Neumann machine and Rocco's Bacillus. But I, I need to check to see if we have time for those. 
No, no. Why don't we put that on hold? Colin Cullis, I've got a little bit of breaking news for you this evening, actually, from the world of tech and business unusual, because there's nothing usual about the business of Facebook and the company Meta, which owns it. I see Mark Zuckerberg, who is the chief executive of Meta, has promoted Nick Clegg. Nick Clegg, once leader of the Liberal Democrat Party in the United Kingdom, uh, did the deal with David Cameron that got him into 10 Downing Street and he became Deputy Prime Minister in a Conservative government, killing off hopes of a Liberal Democrat government for, for many decades to come. But he's been a senior executive within Meta for quite some time, and I see uh, that Mark Zuckerberg has promoted Nick Clegg to President for Global Affairs, whatever that means. Uh, but certainly it's a bigger title than Deputy Prime Minister of Great Britain, but that's a little bit of breaking news this evening. Colin Cullis with Business Unusual.